Welcome to Loving the Christ Life. I'm Brad Wilson. Welcome. Glad to be with you again today. And we appreciate you tuning us in and hope these weekly podcasts of Loving the Christ Life have been life-changing for you and your family and friends. We're starting a new study today with Warren Litzman. It's the seed of the Christ Life. Nature and Spirit, another very interesting study that you don't want to miss a word of. So let's get right into it. Here's Warren. We're going to look into some scriptures tonight. As I talk to you about a subject the Holy Spirit has dealt with me on for some time. One of the most important themes in walking in the Spirit I've ever got a hold of is the theme that surrounds the seed. The little word seed. The seed is the very heart of God's plan. It's not mentioned too many times, but every time it is mentioned, it points to Christ. The seed. The scripture speaks of the seed in three distinctive ways. For instance, The seed has life in it. Scripture says the life is in the Son. The seed has the God nature in it. Peter said we are all partakers of divine nature. And the seed has the Spirit in it, not the Holy Spirit. Romans 8 and 9, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he's none of his. So there are terms used in the New Testament to define the seed, and the seed always points to Jesus. The reason I am led to talk about the seed is because the seed gives us the deepest understanding of who God is I've ever found in the scriptures. Jesus said one time, you can't know the Father except by me. Jesus said one time, I am the door. If any man enters in to God and the things of God, has to come through me. But the most defining verse of scripture I've ever found in the Bible about God that tells us the most important thing I think there is to know about God is in John, the 12th chapter and the 24th verse. I could talk to you about the sovereignty of God and the power of God and the creative ability of God and the inspiration from God and all of the things you think of when you think of Almighty God. But the deepest thing I know about God is given to us in John 12 and 24. The little verse that says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except the corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it cannot bring forth fruit. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. That's the deepest thing I know about God. Nowhere in that verse does it. It mentioned God. But it's the deepest thing about God that goes deeper than his power, his greatness, 
eternality or anything else. Because it gives us the one thing that holds the whole of the plan of God together. And that one thing is this. God never brings life except out of death. That all life with God comes out of death. Now you've got to admit that's different. He who could produce anything, create anything, speak the world into existence, never brings life without death. We have that in nature. In nature, everything that blooms must die before it blooms again. Every tree must die some way before it bears its fruit again. Animals go through the pain of bearing their young in a thing called death, like a woman. A woman travails to bring forth a child, and travail is a form of death. But most of all, when we look at spiritual things and look at God, we see that there is no way God could bring forth life except by death. There was a thing in God that said, I must die if others live. We might say it's the love of God. We could talk about that. That would be speculation. But let's say the love of God demanded of God that he could not love unless he paid the price for it. Or we could talk about redemption. We could say that there was a thing in God that said there can be no one saved except I pay the price to save him. That's deep in God. That's so deep in God to me, that's what he is. That's what he is. And so when you get over into the Gospels, take John's third chapter, which most powerfully explains all of this, I think. Jesus said to Nicodemus, except you be born again, you cannot see or enter into the things of God. Now that's dynamic and that's dogmatic. I find very few, however, that believe what Jesus said in that statement. Most of us come along and we base what we believe on 101 things from Abraham, Noah's Ark to what? But Jesus said to Nicodemus that everything should be based on the birthing. Everything you believe, everything that's ever happened, everything that ever takes place must be based on the birthing, except you be born again. You cannot see the things of God. John 3, 3. You cannot enter the things of God. John 3, 5. That's the understanding we ought to have about God. That it is only by the birthing, being born again, that we're able to know God, understand Him, or enter into the things of God. What is a birthing? A birthing cannot take place unless a father sires an offspring. A birthing hinges, therefore, on the seed of the father. A woman cannot produce a child. Only fathers produce children 
because they provoke the issue by the giving of the seed. Women bear the child. The child is conceived in the woman, but she can't produce a child. That's the irony that's going on with the homosexual crowd right now because they're stirring up every way possible for a woman to get a child without a man. You're going to hear a lot more about that because that's the new world we're living in right now. But in God's plan, you've got to have a father's seed somewhere if you ever have an offspring. Well, if there's Ephesians 1 and 4 says we were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world, that God planned for human beings to be in Christ, then certainly God had it in his mind that by his own seed he would produce his own offspring. And that's what he's done. Every born-again child of God, as Paul says at least five times, using this term, offspring, we are the offspring of God, birthed by him. So you can't see or enter the things of God without an understanding of the birthing. That's key. I thought about my life, how easy it was for me to get lost in my theology and my understandings and misunderstandings and seeking after everything but that cardinal understanding of the deepest thing in God. The deepest thing in God. Life comes out of death. Because that's the way it is with every seed. It is produced by death. So something in God and something of God had to die before there could be a Christian, before there could be an offspring from God. John 3 goes on and states it perfectly. For God so loved the sinner that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. But that's not the depth of what's in God, not in that wording. What is really said there, that God in the ultimate act of love has taken his seed. He said one time, Paul did, dealing with the Jews, that we are all children of Abraham by that one seed, Christ. God so loved the sinner that he took his one seed, Christ, and put him in every believing sinner that they might not perish but have everlasting life. That's what salvation is. Salvation is a person. It is not a thing. It is not a doctrine. It is not an idea. Salvation is a person. Romans 5 and 10 says that we are saved by his life, not his death. But the sinner is saved by his life. God had death to take place before Christ could ever be our life. That means so many things. When you rightfully divide the scriptures, it is amazing. For instance, until Jesus died, no man had life. You think Abraham did. He didn't. He had a God-given provision, but he didn't have life. David didn't have life. 
Isaiah didn't have life. Many of them saw the Lord and they believed. The scripture said they did believe, but it was their own works that caused them to be acceptable to God. They didn't have his life in them because John was finally to say in his epistle that the life is in the Son. Now, they had a form of moral life and power that was given to them by God as gifts, but they didn't have life. Because John was further to say, He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son hath not life. That's dogmatic, isn't it? I mean, no beating around the bush there. So the Son was the life. You can't separate the Son from the life. And you can't separate the sun from the seed. There's no way the two could be separated. So the birthing is the key to everything that God has for the human being and the believer. We move on to the next place in the scriptures where the term born again is used. The term born again is only used two times in the scripture. Once in John's writings, and then again once in Peter's writings. That's rather important, because I say the gospel comes from Paul, but Paul never used the term born again. But what Paul used was a deeper term and understanding than that. Paul said, this is a mystery, and this mystery must be revealed if you're to experience it. That's different. That's where we leave multitudes of Christians who just say, well, we're born again, but they don't understand it. Paul said, I can see why they don't understand it. They can't understand how another father can put his seed in them and create another person of them. So he said, let's not talk about being born again. Let's talk about a mystery that only God can show you. Now, you don't have to know the mystery to be saved. Simply believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you're saved. But if you're going to ever know who you are and what you are in God's plan, then the mystery must be revealed. That's the work of the Holy Spirit, and we have ample information for that. But Peter said in, what is it, First Peter 1 and 23, the verse begins like this. He says, being born again. Being, not getting born again. He says, being born again, not of the corruptible seed, but of the incorruptible seed by the word of God. Well, you have to understand something here. Always the scripture, to my knowledge, except in a couple of places in the New Testament, the epistles beyond the day of Pentecost, when the term word is used, it refers not to scriptures, but to a person. John begins this in his gospel when he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The last account we have of the term Word of God is when Jesus in the book of Revelation comes forward on the white horse and he has written across his front the words, The Word of God. Always, the Word of God refers to a person. 
They call this the word of God, but this is really the scriptures. These scriptures contain the message of Jesus, contain the word of God. But the word is really a person. And that's the way the Apostle Paul looked at this. And especially that's the way Peter saw it in this first chapter of 1 Peter. Being born again by the word of God, by the person of Christ. You see, that obliterates all our religiosity. We are not born again by water baptism, by joining the church, by doing good work. You've heard this again and again. But you may not have heard the other end of it. You were born again by that person Christ whom God put in you, who constituted the seed from God himself that gives you life and gives you access to another person whose life you can live. So it is only by the understanding of the seed that a person will ever know what a Christian is. If you're denied that information, you'll never know what a Christian is. And I think most Christians don't know who they are. They'll say, first, I'm Baptist or Methodist or Charismatic, because they don't know what a Christian is. A Christian is not what you believe. It's really in whom you believe. But it goes deeper than that. A Christian is one who has been rebirthed. They are one who have the God seed in them bringing forth another life. Peter said, being born again, not of the corruptible seed. The only knowledge human beings have about life, death, God, and eternity comes through the corruptible seed. I would venture to say, since I'm far out already for some people, that at least 90% of Christians live by the knowledge of the corruptible seed rather than the incorruptible. What I mean by that? They live by an idea that I was once bad, I want to be better. I once sinned. I still sin, and I don't want to sin anymore. I want to be sinless. Or I once drank. I don't want to drink anymore. I once was on drugs. I don't want to be on drugs anymore. That's the knowledge that comes from the corruptible seed, of which there's no life in it. And let me say, multitudes of people have been blessed and helped by believing that. But that's not life. Why do I say that? Because it is not what you do. Christianity is not something that betters our way of living. Christianity is a whole new existence brought by another birthing altogether. That's different. Many years I preached I wanted to make people better. I preached for the Baptists for a while. I wanted to make good Baptists out of them. And a good Baptist does this and he does that. And I wanted to make a good charismatic out of them. And a good charismatic does this and he does that. I kept trying to change them. That was hard work because very few people change. They drop off their most glaring errors, but they never enter into life. So they live by the knowledge of the corruptible seed. I love what Paul says in uh, Galatians 6 and 14. He says, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision matters. That says neither doing good or not doing evil anymore matters to God. That doesn't matter. 
Then what matters? The new creation. What's that? That's the seed. That's Christ in you. That's all that matters. To God. And wouldn't you think so? Wouldn't you think that all that matters to a father? What makes a father work for his child? He sees in him his seed. He sees in him his life, his ways. And so it is with our heavenly father. He sees this in us. So we're born again, not of the corruptible seed, but of the incorruptible seed by the word of God, by the person of Christ. Incorruptible seed. Oh, John uses terms, not born again necessarily, but he says born of the Spirit. Several times in his epistle, he uses the term that they that are birthed of God do not sin. They that are birthed of God love. He really carries through on the idea of the birthing. But that's what's happened to every one of us. God has put his seed in us. Now, if I could get it fixed in your mind properly, my big thought tonight is that you need to see that seed that's in you is Christ. It is not a separated form of Christ where it is a fantasy or an idea or a philosophy. I'd have to believe that if the scripture said God had one seed, and God was able to put that one seed in every believing sinner, then that seed would have to be likened unto the only begotten Son of God. For instance, there's no way you can separate what Jesus said to Nicodemus from facts. He didn't say, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, and by that, that Son would come in many different forms. That only begotten Son, only, O-N-L-Y, defines the fact that the only Son is God's Son. Therefore, the only seed God has is the one Son. For instance, that doesn't mean that she has one seed in her and he has another God's seed in him. That the seed changes. That's why Paul called it a mystery. The seed never changes. What binds us together in this room tonight is not our belief of this Bible, because there are plenty of you here that will disagree with me and somebody else on what this Bible says. It's not that we're all do-gooders and we get together once in a while to sing songs. The one thing that ties us together under God is Jesus. One body. We're in a unity in that one body. That's what makes us together, together. Now, you may have other ideas. Some people come to meetings to straighten me out. Some people come to meetings to be straightened out. But that's not what draws us together. Essentially, we're drawn together by the one Son, because that's a likeness between all of us. Every one of us are direct, distinct offsprings of God. And Paul said we are all first born Heirs of God. You're an heir of God. What does that mean? It literally means that it is as if every one of you were the only son God had. And everything in God's 
domain belongs to you as an heir. Now, we're joint heirs with Jesus Christ. That's another matter. That means he gets no more than we get on that level. But on first level, as firstborn children of God, the one Son in us, Christ in us, is as if he had no other son. You want your faith bolstered? You want your life made stronger? Once in a while, you need to come before God in that spirit that, God, I thank you for the grace that has fixed me as if I were the only child you had. That's a, a prerogative you have. That's one way you can talk to your father. That's how Jesus talked to the father. You want to know how to talk to your father? Read John 17, the Lord's Prayer, and see the personal relationship that Jesus had with the father. Father, you and I are one. Did you ever tell the father that about you? Did you ever speak to your heavenly father as if you were the only child that he had? That wipes out a lot of your doubts and fears and unbelief, things you don't understand or know about. For all of a sudden you step into the distinct domain that God has prepared for us by having rebirthed us. So we are born again by the incorruptible seed. The incorruptible seed is in contrast to the corruptible seed in that verse. The corruptible seed is what we are in the flesh, what our mom and daddy earthly gave to us and made of us. That's the corruptible seed. The incorruptible seed is our new father, our new life. If I can get across to you that that incorruptible seed is the person of Christ, that Christ in you, which is the most often mentioned single term in the New Testament, over 200 times mentioned, 146 times translated from the Greek to say union or oneness with Christ. If I could convince you that that seed that is in you is Christ, not anything else, not your good works, not your good feelings, but it's Christ. As Paul said, Christ in you, the hope of glory. If you could be convinced of that, that you have Christ in you, then you need to know about that Christ that is in you. Obviously, the seed in you is not making you Jesus of Nazareth. It isn't even making you Paul. It isn't even making you what your godly mother was. The God seed in you is working in and out of you to perfect what God created you to be. You got to understand that. We talk about that a lot. In your mother's womb, you were created in the image and likeness of God. The task of a Christian is whether or not they come to the fulfillment of that creation. I think most human beings are going to live and die and never become what it was God created them to be. One big reason is that Paul said in Colossians 2 and 10 that we are completed by Christ. Our completion is Christ. Our fullness is Christ. 
So that means that the only thing that ever completes your creation is Christ in you. He is the added part that makes you everything God intended that you be. When Jesus begins to work out of you, he doesn't work out of you as Jesus of Nazareth. He doesn't work out of you like some other great person. He works out of you according to the creation of yourself from the beginning. What God created you to be. That's what he brings forth in you. You see, that was for the glory of God, that each one of us would bring honor and glory to God. And so when Christ begins to work out of us as our life, then do we fulfill what God's intention for us was in our creation. I'll have to tell you that the saddest thing I now face in my walk with God is that most believers may never become what God's intention for them was. Now, that has nothing to do with them getting to heaven. They're going to make heaven. They're born again. The children of God. But what that has to do with, they'll never become completed lives here and now. They'll never enter into the joy and the happiness that God said was ours regardless of our circumstances and situations. I know Christians that have a hell on earth. They're just praying for God to give them one miracle after another every day. They never live. Sometimes God gives them a miracle. Sometimes things work out. Sometimes things straighten out. But most of the time, it's just going from one circumstance and situation to another. They never live. They never become what it was God created them to be. I can't believe that God created us to the awful destiny most of us face in daily living. Not after he put his son in us. But because we haven't learned Christ, as Paul said in one place, because we haven't grown up in this Christ that's in us, because we still have taught to us a Christ that's outside of us, one that's up in heaven somewhere, and we never get down to the fact that God's grace is sufficient for me because Christ is in me, then we spend our life struggling, trying to be good, trying to get ahead, trying to be something that may not be in our creation at all. So it's coming to learn and know this Christ that is in us. We're going to stop here, but you've been listening to part number one of The Seed of the Christ Life, Nature and Spirit by Warren Litzman. What a great study, and we'll hear more next week. Don't forget to go to our website, christ-life.org. There you can read all about the In Christ message and the Christ life that we promote so heavily and believe in so much, christ-life.org. Check it out. Robbie Litzman, thank you for allowing us to go into the archives each week. Valerie Hill does our Twitter account. Tammy Laycock does our weekly podcast reports. And this program is produced weekly by Teresa Ferraro from the Christ Life Fellowship. Thank you again for being with us. And until next time, I'm Brad Wilson, loving the Christ life.